Hi friends, it's Sophie, and welcome to This Trying Life, a new podcast about, well, all it takes to try and be alive. Sounds a bit broad, right? And maybe a bit bleak? Well, you know what? It is broad and bleak. Well, no, it's actually quite joyful. It's a celebration podcast. About what makes life hard, sure. Loneliness, your mother, lying on the kitchen floor sometimes. But then it's about all the ways we try and find our way through those hard spots. It's definitely not about the goal on here or the target. It's about the messy middle, about what we experience and what we ask ourselves when we're living in that space between. When we've shot the arrow that is our life, but we're still not sure if we're falling or soaring mid-flight. Okay, friends, enough of this. Let's get cracking. Welcome to episode one with Jody and words. So first learning curve here is that I didn't introduce Jody, nor did I ask her to introduce herself. So a bit about Jody Essery. She is a writer and poet. She's an incredible wordsmith. She's a mother and wife, and she's an incredible mentor to me. I first met her at theater school when she was assistant director on a project I was doing and really encouraged me with my writing. So she has been um, such a force of encouragement and support in my life, and I couldn't be more grateful. And this podcast, episode you'll see has lots of things that need to be fixed i.e some parts of the editing are a bit abrupt so bear with me on that but I'm trying to embody with this podcast what I think is true which is that there's value in doing something that you don't fully know how to do yet and isn't completely perfect yet but doing the work and putting it out there and then doing the work better next time and putting that out there so Bear with me for this episode. The editing will get better. I've already learned loads of things. And mainly that whole philosophy about doing the work, putting it out there, doing better work next time, putting that out there is all from Seth Godin. If you don't know who Seth Godin is, Google that guru. He's incredible. And maybe tune in to his podcast. I'll put that in the show notes. And I will also get better at articulating my questions for what this podcast is about, which is trying to live the life you want to lead, even though that can be incredibly hard sometimes. The questions will get better. The answers are already wonderful, so those don't need to get better. About this podcast in general, I will do one episode per month. So by the end of 2019, there will be 12 episodes of This Trying Life, and each episode will be around a certain theme. This episode with Jody, I asked her about words and it turned into a glorious conversation about the narratives that we create around our lives and how those narratives can be upended. Because words can be upended and words can shift and change all the time. So I hope you enjoy. It was such a gorgeous conversation with Jody, and in editing I couldn't stop smiling because I just wanted to listen to her insights all the time and I hope you do too. Okay, enjoy. 
are you? I'm good. You're like far away, magically having the new life. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm proud of you. It's amazing. Oh my God. It feels so good, Jody. That's awesome. Awesome, to, awesome, awesome. To be over here. And um, yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen, but uh, I just like being in London. It's very busy. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's lots of cool underground stations. Cool. Westminster being my favorite, which is sort of like like massive gray underground complex that is sort of sci-fi. It's got um, metal grating and you walk down and sort of big metal tubes and... Oh, cool. Yeah. Are you getting over a cold? Uh, yeah, always. <laughs> like this season is me getting over a cold or getting a cold, but the whole family has a cold. Oh. So you will be doomed to have a nasally person on your podcast. No, it's great. <laughs> I love a nasally person. I also don't know what I'm doing with this podcast. Can I practice some things with you? Yes, of course, please. Can I practice being a, a questioner? Yes. <laughs> An interviewer, I think they're called. I will be practicing being a respondent. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had in mind when I thought of people I wanted to speak to, like words that they evoked in me. And so I thought maybe my first question would be along those lines. Okay. <laughs> you might hate this question. We're going to see. I'm practicing. I don't hate any questions. I don't appreciate my answers sometimes, but the questions are fine. Oh, well, that's a question. Why don't you appreciate your answers? Um, sometimes I just don't feel like I, I respected the question properly. If I don't, uh, if it doesn't make a connection in me really quickly, then I feel like I'm letting down the question somehow by not answering it. I don't know. You know, like sometimes a thing enters you and then you begin to speak about it and even you understand that what you're saying about it is true to you. And other times I just feel like I'm crafting something around the words of the question, but I'm not convinced that what I'm saying is true. That is such a gorgeous answer. <laughs> and I feel very similarly. I know exactly that feeling. Yeah. I feel like I struggle with that on a day, daily basis. So my first question to you would be, could you tell me a story about words in your life? Um, either maybe like a memory from your childhood to do with words and reading. Like I wonder what the word words evokes in you, I guess. So it's interesting because I feel like maybe uh, I won't go all the way to my childhood, but maybe something will come back to me around that. Um. I feel like starting maybe in university, I had a series of words that I believed to be the most important thing to strive for. Um, so at one point I thought that candor was the most important thing to me, mm -hmm. um, that somebody who could be direct, um, but in such an authentic way that it wouldn't be insulting somehow. I thought that was very important. And then there, and then after a while, there's always a moment where that notion is kind of unseated or it's proven to be incomplete for me. And then I try to sort of choose another word. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm thinking 
specifically actually about a time when I did something. So I think that I always thought of myself as a compassionate person or I could, that was one hook that I could hang a hat on that I cared about other people and I treated other people with respect. Um, and then I was going through a breakup and the person I was breaking up with said to me, I feel like you are handling this situation without an ounce of co compassion. And mm -hmm. that angered me so completely that it made me come to realize later that that was a real indictment against everything I thought I stood for, but it was true. I was handling the situation without an ounce of compassion. And that in fact, in a situation where I wanted to extra myself so badly the first thing to go was my compassion and that was kind of a scary realization um, and similarly a few years ago I decided at the beginning of the year that it would be the year of sort of seeking forgiveness um, that I realized that I've been carrying a couple of things with me for years and certain people I was thinking about them every day and they had sort of cut me out of their life for things that I had considered in myself kind of unforgivable. And I thought perhaps I should seek forgiveness from them. And then one of the first things that happened is that someone uh, came to me after many years and sought forgiveness from me. And I had a hard time giving it to them completely. And again, mm -hmm this sort of idea of a word being upended or a realization that something that I had used to define myself turned out to be either false or harder than I reckoned. Um, and I think those are the moments where I've been able to shift my outlook somewhat, those sort of terrible, uncomfortable moments where you are not allowed to use a word anymore because you realize that you're not honoring it fully. That's interesting, I think. Wow, that's so fascinating. I like the yeah. idea of the changeability of a word also. Like you're talking about it being upended, but this person that sought forgiveness from you, was that somebody who you were going to go to to seek forgiveness from them? Was it like a case of misunderstanding or a case of um, perceiving yourself as being in the wrong and them perceiving themselves as being in the wrong? Um, I think... The reason, in fact, that I had trouble giving forgiveness fully was because I realized that the real root of my disturbance around this event had been the recognition that I was complicit in it somehow. So it was someone who I had hired for a job, a job that I had previously done, and I moved into a position of kind of um, overseeing that job. And over the course of maybe a year, the person in that job had completely unraveled and started to lie about what they were doing and sort of hide things. And the organization that we were both working for kind of began to fall apart. And then he left and it took me a while to kind of reconcile with myself the fact that he had sort of fled the scene of this mess and then mm -hmm trying to put the pieces back together, I realized that there was no way that I could have been properly doing my job and this could have gotten 
so far. So I think that when he sought forgiveness from me, I withheld it because of my own shame. So in that way, it's like I needed to forgive myself. That sounds very trite, but not um, at all. And also, I guess this idea that, again, I think of myself as a very forgiving person. So to be confronted with a situation where I actually, again, did not perform (laughs) in the way that I would have uh, advertised myself as performing always was a bit shocking to me. Yeah, I have those moments, too. Um, The word for me is generous, the one that I sort of seek after. I'm striving to be more generous. And I think that comes from a place of what feels like an inherent stingy seed in me. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm shocked when I discover that. I feel similarly about that word, I think. And I think it's come to kind of rest in me in a way of all of these things. Every time there's a realization like that, um, it's actually receded my desire to be public kind of weirdly Mm. it's like I don't the the more that I recognize those things in myself the less I feel that doing anything writing living speaking for any kind of audience is compelling to me just like no I think I need to be the audience I want to be the audience Can you explain that a bit further? Are you saying like in terms of that negotiation with forgiveness, when you're confronting that in yourself, the desire is less to put that out there and more to just sort of receive and reckon with that realization? Is that what you're... I think so, yeah. That, oh. that I think I've always... So this goes back to when I was a kid and maybe words. When I was a kid, I was always writing for a perceived audience. So what was what i loved about the act of writing was the imagining that it would be shared i didn't journal for myself that seemed weirdly sort of like a dead end to me it was like why would i write this down i'll just think about that unless unless i imagine that someone will read this and that was always true and i think that I, the more confident I was that it was just like, oh, this is worth it. This is worth it for someone else because I'm making it. Mm-hmm. That was a kind of given when I was a kid or I imagined it to be. And the more that I reckon with this sort of version of myself that I would like to believe, the compassionate, generous, forgiving, <laughs> candid mm-hmm. person, the more that I discover that that is actually not it hasn't been tested very much or well thought out, the less I imagine an audience for my words, for my work, for anything, um, to the point where, you know, I used to perform and now there's uh, there's no way that you would find me doing that. That, that feels completely foreign to me. And I, I realize that I think more and more all throughout my life, like, no, I don't, this is not for anyone else. Um, the assumption that I'm confident enough about something that I would immediately share it has been also upended. 
And I think, no, there's probably more to this. I know nothing about this. So sharing it is terrible. It's not, it's not, it's not a good idea. It's not a healthy idea for anyone. Um, because I think also the minute I share something, I feel like it's legitimized and the legitimacy of it causes me to stop wondering about it or questioning it or exploring it. Oh, that's so fascinating. I'm wondering if that has led you, like, has that led you, though, to create more for yourself? Or has that led to, like, a stopping of creation? It's hard to say, I think, because I'm always battling with whether or not I am telling myself a certain story in order that my comfort will be preserved. So (laughs) in a way, I want to say it stopped me from creating in the way that I was creating before, that is creating things for an audience, be it readers or um, theater goers or whoever. But I want to say that it's made me more creative inside of my life. I don't think, I think, and this may be very, um, what's the word? It might be very sort of generic idea that as we get older, we make these realizations anyway. But for me, I feel like I probably was quite dismissive of my everyday life before, or I was always looking for the story inside my everyday life. So it's like I was narrating my own existence Hmm. for some other audience, but I wasn't, had no legitimacy for me in of its own accord. And I feel now like just doing a thing is pretty amazing (laughs) and I don't I don't need to it doesn't need an audience in order to become legitimate or perhaps my audience this is also a possibility is just that now that I have a kind of nuclear family inside of my own house that is my audience so maybe I've just shifted it and that is as unhealthy or whatever (laughs) what I was doing before but I don't feel that way. I don't feel as if I need the people in my house to be an audience to what I'm doing. And that feels very relieving. It feels like the miracles of everyday life are teaching me to be an audience. And I don't need to translate that necessarily at this moment for any for other people. It doesn't sound unhealthy at all. My only wish is that the work still gets finds its way into the world, I guess, for people, uh, for an audience who would um, welcome it. You know, like you're not creating for an audience, but I don't think that means that there isn't an audience there. Yeah, no, that's true. Although I think it also has kind of deepened my respect for the people who do that, who live their life in that way, and then also take the time and move through the discomfort and sort of suffer to translate that for an audience, because I think that that's a whole other thing. Wait, you're talking about in comparison to you, those that suffer for their art? Yeah, well, or those that like do what I'm saying, and then also say, I'm going to take the time and the care um, to figure out how to translate this for an audience, because as an audience, I appreciate it so much. I love a good book. I look to art to help me translate things from the world into some understanding. So I have a deep respect for the people who can do that and are doing it. And I guess maybe at this moment, I question whether I am one of those people. 
or whether I'm just, or whether using words is just a way that I move through the world and that's great. And for the people who know me, maybe that's great for them in that moment as well. But I don't know, I don't, I know that at this moment I don't have the discipline, that is for sure, to put that out there in a real or professional way. And I think I, it, that's been a reckoning for me as well. It stopped being easy, right? So, right. Um, yeah. Well, you've got so much other things going on, like you said, a nuclear family. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Immensely. I do have a lot of other things going on, but I don't necessarily think that um, I, that's not, not to the point where I couldn't do both if I, if it was really, um, I guess, like a real passion. Right. And this is the thing, I think, like, again, this redefinition where you assume you are a certain kind of person and then you are suddenly in your 40s and you're looking back and thinking, oh, no, that I was that, but I never um, I never nurtured that or I never put an effort into maintaining that in myself. And now I can't really say that that's me. That could have been me a long time ago, but there's been a long stretch where it wasn't true or I didn't engage with it. And so, you know, I, I think I was thinking before I talked to you, like as a kid or I, I recognized that if you really put a crazy extra effort into things, there was a great satisfaction in that. Uh, and I've become, I think, more limited in the kind of things that I'll put a really big extra effort into. And sometimes uh, I question those. I see that I move towards the things that are comfortable like I just have spent tens and tens of hours meticulously decorating sugar cookies. It brings me great personal satisfaction in the moment, I have to say. That is a tangible thing that I understand. I could just mix another batch of icing and stand at the counter and there will be, you know, hipster fox heads at the end of that. <laughs> and that will be great. Um but I don't, but that there is nothing uncomfortable about that for me. Staying up late to do that brings me nothing but comfort, right? But I, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like hearing you speak, it sounds like you're, you've become more refined in where you're directing your energy and you're directing your energy to things that bring you joy and love. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think maybe the reckoning in all of that is to say that... In the same way as a young person that I integrally believed that what I wrote was automatically sort of uh, ready for an audience, mm -hmm. I think that we have, I have a, I had a vision of myself as winning something, whatever mm -hmm. that was, being the best something or other. And I feel like that sort of the winning for me right now is the, just the recognition that hardly anybody wins in the way that we have a picture of winning early on, but it, that it doesn't need to be a disappointment to see that we are just like other people. There's no, I think I carried this notion that in order to sort of succeed, it would mean distinguishing myself somehow in a recognizable way that other people would see was the best. Mm. Uh, and it's like living a life is an effort and it's a beautiful win. So it doesn't need to be better than somebody else's to somehow distinguish itself. And, and the deep satisfaction in that is kind of, I think the moment that I'm at now. 
Okay, that's it. Done and dusted. One episode of a podcast. Ooh yeah. So that was part one of my interview with Jody. I actually have more parts to that, but they'll come up throughout the year, probably not as whole episodes, probably as bonus episodes. There's a really good little um, insight where she talks about belief and sort of reigniting our ability to stand by our beliefs, to not feel embarrassment about what we believe in. It's gorgeous. So something I want to ask you to do is it is a shameless steal from Seth Godin and Akimbo, which is send me a voice memo at this trying life at gmail.com. For this episode, if you wanted to send me something that resonated with you, maybe words that you chase after in your own life and why you chase after those words or why certain words have a strong presence in your life, I would love to hear it. And then I can talk about it at the beginning of next episode. And ultimately, this podcast is an attempt to practice something I believe in, which is, again, doing the work and putting it out there. But I think all my artistic endeavors are an attempt to feel less alone in the world. So again, that's why if you want to send me your voice memos and you can email it to me. Email is this trying life at gmail.com. Okay, that's all from me. Join me next month for episode two of this trying life.